Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Thriving on Purpose broadcast. My name is Sebastian Richard. I'll be your host as we continue our study of Kingdom Fundamentals, the book I wrote that's on, on your screen right there. And uh, tonight we continue the chapter on God's love. So the title of tonight's uh, broadcast is Understanding the Kingdom of God. God is good all the time. And we're going to talk about the second part of that chapter, which I began the last time I did, uh, not last week, but the week that uh, I think it was like three weeks ago, I think. So anyway, uh, so I'm going to continue that tonight. I also have other news that I'm going to share with you a little uh, before the broadcast. But right now, before I officially begin, I just want to uh, tell you folks, if you haven't done so already, make sure you head on to thrivingonpurpose.com and sign up to our weekly newsletter to stay up to date with all of our news and updates. This will also enable you to follow this ministry, despite all the censorship that's going on. And while you're at it, make sure you check out our unique Kingdom Patriot, such as what I'm wearing right now, and Remnant Arising merch, jewelry, and apparel. And if you haven't gotten anything for your mother yet, well, head on to thrivingonpurpose.com. There's some great stuff for Mother's Day, and the cutoff is like, let's just say we're a little late now. So if you haven't bought your mother a gift yet, there's still time, but it still might come late. But anyway, there's some great uh, gifts for mom on the website. And also... If you feel led to partner with this teaching ministry or to sow a seed, you can do so on our website by clicking on the Give button. But now I have taken far, far too much of your precious time. Let's get on with tonight's broadcast. Uh, so like I said, we're continuing our Kingdom Fundamentals series tonight, but there's also some, I don't know if it's sad news. For you guys, sad news for me, or good news for you guys. But the point I'm trying to make is this is going to be where we conclude this going through the book series. The Lord has called me to do other works right now, other broadcasts, and I really feel a pressing from Him to do to to uh, to basically change lanes or change direction. And I know I had said we would go through the whole book. That's not going to happen. Maybe uh, I'm not saying it's not going to happen ever. I'm just saying it's gonna, it's not going to happen just now because I'm uh, being led to do other stuff. However, there's plenty of good content. I think this is my probably close to eighth or ninth episode uh, broadcast done on Kingdom Fundamentals. So there's a lot, a lot of materials that I gave you guys on this channel that you are benefiting from if you want to know about the kingdom of God. Uh, and so uh, this, the news for now concerning these types of teachings concerning uh, the book, Kingdom Fundamentals. Also, if you have gotten the book, if you are following these teachings and the book has blessed you, well, you know, the best way you can do, the best thing you can do to bless back this ministry, aside from sowing a, a financial seed, is to just leave a positive review for the book on Amazon. It takes two seconds of your time and it makes a huge difference in spreading the message of the book and the message of the kingdom further. So I, without any further ado, let us begin with uh, this part B. So the second part of this wonderful chapter titled God is Good All the Time. And as I told you last time, 
this uh, chapter is actually chapter five in the book. Now there's like, this is part six B for the broadcast, but the, the actual chapter in the book is chapter five. And check this out. There's like six additional chapters. So there's 11 chapters in all in the book. So even though I'm ending the teaching series tonight, uh, you can only imagine, that sounds like a nice song. You can only imagine. Anyway, you can only imagine how much more good content there is concerning the kingdom of God. So if you haven't gotten the book, I really encourage you to get it because the best, in my own, in my humble opinion as an author, I think the best part of the book is the second part. So the later, the later chapters, uh, starting with chapter five. And I explained to you last time I was talking about this wonderful chapter about the love of God, about the goodness of God. I put it in the middle, in the center of the book, because, as I said, the love of God is central. It should be central in your life. It sure is central in mine. And I thought it should be central in the book as well. And I had shared with you guys um, this wonderful quote by Dwight L. Moody, who said, If you can really make a man believe you love him, you have won him. And if I could only make people really believe that God loves them, what a rush we would see for the kingdom of God. And I love how he phrased it. Moody was aware that this was such a huge key for gospel expansion, for kingdom expansion, to make realize, to make men understand just how much they are loved by the Father. And you know what? <clears throat> Sorry, I have been a Christian for many, many, many uh, years, in fact, decades, before I really began understanding the depth of his love. And it's funny because, you know, I, I accepted Christ. I was nine years old. So there's only so much you can understand as a nine-year-old sinner. And you're like, well, you know what? Yeah, I, I've sinned. Yes, I've broken the commandments. And you come to Christ. You want that forgiveness. You want that relationship. But you don't fully understand the love of the Father as a nine-year-old. So I grew up with a very basic understanding of the love of God, the love of Christ on the cross, of course, and all these things. But on a personal level, on an experiential level, I had not fully understood it. And you know what? I probably won't understand. I, you know, if, if we're honest, right, I'm going to be on my deathbed and I still will not be able to say, oh yeah, I fully understand the love of God now. I'm good. I'm 75 or 85 or 90 years old and I'm all good. I get it now. You know what? As long as we're on earth, I don't think we can fathom just how much the father loves us. Fathom, father, nice wordplay here. Anyway, so let me start with this second part of the chapter by talking about God's discipline. God's discipline. We often talk as if God's will is to cause us intense pain in order to somehow, through it, bring about good things. Now, don't get me wrong. God does use our pain and turns it to good just as Romans 8.28 says. But he doesn't will the ill. And only very rarely, if ever, would he cause it for the sake of disciplining you. Now, having said that, does God discipline us? Of course he does. In fact, there are many accounts of this in Scripture. Is his discipline sometimes painful? 
Yep, you better believe it. A funny Christian lady, Barbara Johnson, once wrote, There's nothing worse than a whooping from the Lord. And she was right. <laughs> like any good, good father, God does indeed discipline his children. There are even some biblical accounts that make us tremble in fear. Just think of God's dealings with David's baby boy after his affair with Bathsheba. Or his dealings with Ananias and Sapphira after their mutual lie. Nevertheless, nevertheless, there are some distinct ramifications to these particular examples and to others that would take too long to get into here. Suffice it to say that such extreme examples of God's discipline are the definite exception and not the rule. Now, think about it. Would you kill your child's pet hamster to teach him a lesson? Only in extreme cases, if ever, would a parent resort to such psychologically torturous measures, right? Well, it's the same with our Father in Heaven. His discipline of His children is more along the lines of a timeout, skip supper, go to your room kind of discipline. And yes, sometimes when we're really rebellious, He spanks us, and rightfully so. I want to read the subhead. God doesn't will the ill in your life. I already said that before, but let me um, further explain further on this. James 1.13 says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. When it comes to our view of God's involvement in our suffering, our thinking is partly based on verses like Job 5.18, where we read the words of Job's friend, Eliphaz, who says, For he wounds, but he also binds up. He injures, but his hands also heal. Now, at first glance, this seems to make sense. It sums up many churchgoers' beliefs. However, we forget the rebuke of the Lord on Eliphaz at the end of the book of Job, where he accuses Eliphaz of having spoken wrongly of him. So at the end of the book, God basically accused Eliphaz of slander. So God says to Eliphaz in Job 42 verses 7 through 9, I am angry with you and your two friends because you have not spoken the truth about me, as my servant Job has. So now take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and sacrifice a burnt offering for yourselves. My servant Job will pray for you and I will accept his prayer and not deal with you according to your folly. You have not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. So Eliphaz the Temanite Bildad the Shuhite and Zophar the Naamatite did what the Lord told them, and the Lord accepted Job's prayer. So the lesson here is this. We must always keep the Bible in context, lest we find ourselves guilty of assigning, uh, assigning things to God which are not true. Remember, God is good. 
all the time. The tale of a tower, the tale of a tower. In Luke chapter 13, there is another, God, another good illustration about attributing deeds wrongfully to God. There was a tower in the town of Siloam that fell and killed 18 people in the process. As you can imagine, it made the local news that day. Our usual line of thinking and our insurance policies when something like this happens is act of God. This is deemed by our insurance policies or even in our own thinking or even by churchgoers. That's an act of God. So the average Christian might think along the lines of, he did this for reasons unknown to us. Perhaps they were judged. And yet, what did Jesus say? He said this in Luke 13, verses 4 through 5. Are those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them? Do you think that they were worse sinners than all other men who dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. So in this intriguing passage, we learn the following. Contrary to what most people thought, the tower didn't fall as a result of God's judgment. It was probably too old or due to faulty construct. The people who died in the accident were not worse than any of the others in the city. And finally, we need to repent so we can be saved because we know not how our end will come in this fallen, broken, and unpredictable world. So here's what I'm trying to tell you. <coughs> God is good. And he doesn't want any harm or ill or pain or suffering or even death for any human being made in his image. This was not his plan from the beginning. In Ezekiel 18.23, we read, Do I take, so that's the words of the Lord, by the way, Do I take any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the sovereign Lord? Rather, Am I not pleased when they turn from their ways and live? Keep in mind this is concerning the wicked, not the redeemed. He doesn't take pleasure in it for the wicked. How much less for us, his redeemed children. And in verse, the same passage in verses 30 and, uh, through 32, we read, Repent. Turn away from all your offenses, then sin will not be your downfall. Rid yourselves of all the offenses you have committed and get a new heart and a new spirit. Will you die? Why will you die, people of Israel? For I take no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the sovereign Lord. Repent and live. As for his children, here is what Jesus had to say about God's will towards us under the new covenant. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 9 through 11, Jesus says, Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? 
Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? It's so interesting because in this passage, Jesus is correcting our perverse thinking. So the point Jesus is making is this. God would never, ever do worse things to us than we do to our own children. And whatever good we would do for our children, us being evil, imagine how much better the Father would do for us. So with this in mind, let's suppose a little bit. If your child had cancer and you had the power to heal him, wouldn't you? Or if your child needed money and you were a, a king or someone extremely wealthy, wouldn't you provide him more than enough? If your child lost his job and you owned a large and wealthy company, wouldn't you employ him at your company? Wouldn't you give him a job? If your child asked you for some ice cream on a hot summer day, you would give him some, right? I know I would, and I've got three of my own. Okay, so that's settled. You would do all those things if you could, even though the Word of God says you and me are evil. How is it then that even knowing that God is good and perfect in his love for us, we still think that our hurts, pains, and trials are his will for us? Shame on us. This is due to perverse thinking on our part. Now, let's take it a step further. What happens when we have perverse thinking and we pray? What happens when we have perverse thinking and we ask God for, well, anything? Well, this is what happens. I'm going to give you some examples. So let's suppose we're, let's suppose you're ill. We pray, God, if it be your will, please heal me. Or if we need a job because we can't pay the rent, we pray, God, if it be your will, please help me to get a job so I can pay the rent. If our spouse is dying, we pray, God, if it be your will, please heal my spouse. Now, too often, and I know this might be a little bit simplistic, that there would be much digging to do there because there's multiple uh, circumstances and um, individual uh, circumstances that may apply or not to this. But this is generalized. I just want to show you a big picture here. So too often we pray, if it be your will, oh Lord. Now we think of ourselves as spiritual and humble when we pray that way. After all, we reason, didn't Jesus pray this way in Gethsemane? So you compare your need for, say, 
a better job with Jesus's kingdom mandate of going to the cross to save humanity. Think about that for a moment. Now, the truth is, when we pray that way, we are only faithless in the Father's goodness. We pray that way to justify our lack of faith by giving our prayer a spiritual fail-safe. Now, think about that. This is very important, I'm saying. So we pray, if it be your will, Lord, dot, 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 right? So that's to, that gives us a, an, an exit strategy if it doesn't work, if our faith is not enough to get the thing to come to pass. So if we do not get our prayer answered, we can then reason it away saying, well, I guess it wasn't God's will after all. Instead of owning up to our inherent lack of faith, we can then blame God for not responding favorably to our prayer, which is far easier, isn't it? So you see, our whole walk with God is hampered if we fail to fully grasp that indeed God is good all the time. Of course, think about it. Of course, it's his will that you are healthy. Of course, it is the Father, the good Father's will that you have more than enough to live, to fulfill your daily needs, to have your daily bread. Of course, it is his will that you live and not die without fulfilling your purpose. That's all his will. I love how the New Living Translation of the Bible rendered Ephesians chapter 3, verses 18 and 19, which, which really expresses how important it is that we understand His great love for us. Paul, in this passage, really wants to bring it home, to nail it. He wants to make sure that the readers understand the law of God, but he knows that most of us won't get it. But I'll read it to you. Ephesians 3, 18 to 19. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how, we're, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. In other words, we cannot be made complete, full of life and of power, unless we know, receive, and experience the love of God. Now, this is such an important, powerful passage. His promises, the Father who loves you, are always yes and amen because there is promises and he is no man that he should lie. In 1 Corinthians 1.20, the Apostle Paul reminds us that all the promises of God in him are yes and in him amen through uh, to the glory of God through us. In other words, all the promises and expressions of his will in the Bible are a pre-approved yes for an answer. When I was uh, in the process of buying a house, I went to the bank and got pre-approved to make house hunting easier. 
And when I was pre-approved, I knew that if I found a house that was under the bracket that the bank had set for me, it was a yes from the bank. So I was I was good and clear to make an offer. So we are pre-approved by God when we pray according to his promises. Isn't that good news? So does the father want you healthy? Yes. Does he want you to have a long life? Yes. Does he want you to have children? If you're having trouble having kids? Yes. It's his will. It's in Genesis, right? Go and multiply. Does he want you to prosper? That is also in the, the scriptures. Yes. I know a lot of a lot of my listeners have trouble with that one, but he does. Indeed. <laughs> he takes great pleasure in it too. Does he want you happy and blessed? The Bible also says yes to those. So it's not that God doesn't want to give us these good things. It's rather that we fail to believe that he does. And if you don't think he wants you to have a certain thing, you will not ask him. So the main problems with our poor living conditions are the following. Number one. The book of James says that we have not because we ask not. That's in James 4.2. It also says that we are unstable. In James chapter 1, verse 5 through 8, it says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. Secondly, we have not because we have no mustard seed faith. Remember the passage at the beginning uh, where Jesus said, uh, the beginning of the chapter, I mean, because of your lack of faith, also in Nazareth, his hometown, Jesus didn't do many miracles. He said that to the people of Nazareth when he went and he didn't do many miracles. He says, because of your lack of faith. So remember, a mustard seed is all you need. You can tweet that on, on my behalf and that'd be great. <laughs> a mustard seed is all you need. Repeat it with me. A mustard seed is all I need. A mustard seed is all I need. And number three, thirdly, we have little faith or no faith because we do not really believe that God is good. How can we expect anything good if we are not fully convinced of his goodness? If we first fix our perverse thinking and believe that God is really good, not just in word, it will unlock our faith in him. Now, my dear friends, the assurance and perfect confidence that God is good is the main key to get your prayers answered. How can you possibly receive from God any good thing if you do not really if you do not really believe it is his will to give you good things? That's a good question. So Jesus 
said in John chapter 10, verse 10, he said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I'm just going to have a drink of water here. I love that verse. Jesus came to give us the fullness of life. The fullness of life. Through everything he did, going to the cross, rising from the dead, and the subsequent outpouring of the Holy Spirit, he followed through. He delivered. He gave us, indeed, everything that pertains to life and godliness, as the scripture says. He gave us the fullness of life through the Spirit of God. So let us all reason together. Okay? At this point, let us do that. Let us reason together. Since Jesus is no liar, if we do not have life to the full, then it has to be on us, not on him. Am I right? So we know his word is true. We then need to correct our perverse thinking. Oftentimes, that's the blockage. That's what blocks us from the fullness of life that Jesus came to bring. I know it's been true in my life. I cannot, I cannot blame God for my difficult circumstances because I know he's good. So when I have difficult circumstances, it might be on me. It might be an attack of the devil. It might be uh, I, I took a wrong turn at Albuquerque. <laughs> and I need to retrace my steps. But the point is, he is good. Okay? Just as James reminds us in James, James 1.17, every good and perfect gift is, is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Life to the full is given to us, provided we believe. Life to the max this is what Jesus came to give us. So moving mountains is possible for me and for you if we believe first that God is good. That's the starting point of it. It all starts with understanding that God really is good. Change this one thing in your life. Change this one thing in your thinking and your life will change right away. Do not be conformed, but be transformed, the Apostle Paul said. The deep love of God and belief in his goodness are what transform us. Now, what do other Bible passages tell us about the Father's goodness, about God's goodness? Well, here are a few. One of my favorite ones is Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. I really like how the Lord here addresses our perverse thinking. He knows how frail we are. He basically says it. He says, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. He's basically inviting us to correct our thinking. Psalm 34, 8. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Psalm 84, 11. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. 
No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. And good news, we are blameless in Christ. We have a better covenant than when David penned those words. Psalm 86.5, you, Lord, are forgiving and good, abounding in love to all who call on you. Psalm 107, verse 1, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Psalm 145, verse 9, the Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. Mark chapter 10, verses 17 and 18 says this. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. Isn't that a fascinating passage? Huh? So, I won't go into the deep theology of this, but this is this is Jesus in his earthly form, in in a human body. So there were um, certain limits put in this state, and he didn't even dare call himself good. He didn't even dare call himself good, and he pointed to the Father. Hebrews 11.6, and without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Dear friends, rewards are given to us because he is good. Now I want to talk a little bit about agreeing with heaven, agreeing with heaven. So as we reach the end of this incredible chapter on the love of God, the two-part chapter on the love of God, one thing is clear. In order to have what heaven has, we must agree with what heaven says. Let me repeat that. That's another another tweetable Quote, and it's it's now fun because Elon Musk has bought Twitter. So he can tweet anything that has to do with God, truth, uh, conspiracies, whatever. You can, you can now truth away, true, truth away on Twitter. <laughs> so tweet away, tweet away the truth. This, one, this is a good one. In order to have what heaven has, we must agree with what heaven says. Unfortunately, many equate God's care for them with what they see feel, and experience day to day. Addressing this, Pastor Chris Reed, a spirit-filled pastor and a revivalist also, wrote the following insightful observation on social media. Uh, I happen to be a Facebook friend of, of Chris, and I, I copped that, and I loved it, so I, I put it in the book. So, Chris, if you're listening, I quoted you in my book. <laughs> That's a privilege. <laughs> there is a difference between our legal position in Christ, what we freely receive in the Spirit, and our living condition, what we actually experience in our everyday lives. Our legal position is the way God sees us in Christ, and what is freely ours in the Spirit. 
Now, our living condition is what we actually experience of that which is freely available. The whole goal of your walk with the Lord is to bring up, bring up your living condition to the same level as your legal position. So your legal position is perfect. It's that of a son, an heir of Christ and God. So that's the reality that you have in heavenlies, in heaven's court, in heaven's system, in the kingdom of God. That is your reality. Now, like, like Chris Reed says, your job in your walk with the Lord is to bring it up to that level. It's to bring it up through faith and application to that level, the same level as your legal position. So, unless we come in full agreement with what the kingdom of God is, says, and how it operates, we cannot possibly enjoy its fruit in our lives. We must align our beliefs with what the king says. And this is done by faith, by believing the invisible over the visible. There is great power in aligning your thoughts and in agreeing with heaven. Great power. So, we know that he is good. He is your father. He is good and he loves you. He is the king. He is wealthy beyond any limits and his kingdom, just like the Bible says in Luke 12, 32, is yours. It's mine. Jesus said, do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom, to give it to you. So when your living condition doesn't align with this reality, it shouldn't affect your faith in his character and his heart for you. Do you understand that? <coughs> he is for you. He's not against you. Hold to this truth. Walk it out daily. Worship the king and your living condition will rise up to meet your legal position. James chapter 2 verse 5 further encourages us with these words. Listen, my beloved brethren, did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom? which he promised to those who love him. Did he not do that? Yes, he did. So our God is a good, good father. I trust that your belief and your outlook concerning God will be renewed and changed with what you learned in this teaching that has to do with chapter five, again, of Kingdom Fundamentals. It's verbatim what I wrote in Kingdom Fundamentals. And I'm giving it to you guys for free tonight. So I trust that with this renewed understanding, you will be blessed. And to paraphrase what Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16 says, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. 
You guys might be familiar with singer and songwriter Chris Tomlin, who wrote a wonderful song called Good, Good Father. It was a hit upon its release back in 2016. And I believe that that song espouses much of what was said in this chapter. I encourage you to find it on YouTube and to buy the album. Uh, I believe the song's lyrics capture the full meaning of our kingdom identity as children of the king, and most of all, as um, the Father's heart. So as we reach the end of this teaching, I will save you the trouble of finding the song on YouTube. I will just share it. I'll just share it away. Uh, of course, you understand, I do not own the rights to the song by Chris Tomlin, but I, uh, I want to share it with you guys, and I hope it blesses you. And like I said, this is the last, for now, of this series on Kingdom Fundamentals. Um, the, the best is yet to come. Trust me on this. Chapters 6 through 11 are absolutely dynamite. Um, I've had great reviews on Amazon on the book. People are loving it. Uh, people who've read it absolutely love this book. It's really transformative. It's a great tool. It, it expands the kingdom. It, the, the teachings in it have transformed my own life. I'm so happy to be giving it, uh, giving these teachings to you guys. So I'm going to end tonight's broadcast with Chris Tomlin's song. And I will see you next week with a brand new series of teachings. I'm not telling you what it is. Let's just put it uh, this way. Uh, God has put on my heart and Elizabeth's heart um, a desire to have a little bit more of an evangelistic season. Let's just put it this way. An evangelistic season where we're going to share more of the, the original gospel of salvation. Now, this these teaching series are about all about the gospel of the kingdom, which is vaster, wider, as you have seen in those teachings. But the gospel of salvation is how we get in the kingdom of God. So the good news of Jesus's salvation is so important. And we're going to do a, a series that's kind of based... Uh, it's made, I don't want to say too much, but it's made to help new believers. It's made to help uh, Christians who have just begun their walk with the Lord. So this will be a very, very useful series that the Lord has led us to uh, to do. And I'm also working on a very, very important book that is going to be a great evangelistic tool in this season as well. The book should be released in the month of May, and I will let you guys know. So make sure you go to thrivingonpurpose.com. And join our email list there, and you will be the first ones to know when the book is released, and you'll be able to purchase it on Amazon. Uh, and there's probably I'm going to probably try to do some book book promotions when it comes out, as I usually do when a new book comes out. So you guys want to be the first ones to know this. And this book will be such a huge blessing blessing for the body of Christ, yes, but for all the unsaved because it's going to be, I believe, an incredible tool in the hands of believers to do some uh, uh, outreach with their friends and family. I won't say too much because I don't want to sell the whole thing because when it comes out, it's going to be huge, uh, that book. So uh, I'm excited about it. I can't wait to share it. So I'm ending this broadcast with Good, Good Father by Chris Tomlin. Be blessed and thrive on.